Who knows what this is? That's right, this is a Beanie Baby, and millions of these things sold in the 90s when I was a kid. These things were so popular that at one point they accounted for almost 90%, sorry, 10% of all sales on eBay. <clears throat> 10% of all sales on eBay. They were so popular, McDonald's included them in their Happy Meals. Prices for certain Beanie Babies doubled, then doubled again and again. And it got to the point where these things, they stopped being just toys. For many people, they became treasures. People set their hope upon them. Some families spent thousands on Beanie Babies, expecting that the skyrocketing prices would eventually pay for future education expenses. People changed how they lived. Some people would go to McDonald's multiple times trying to collect as many of these Beanie Babies as possible. And they, would pl they wouldn't play with them. They would carefully guard them. Don't cut the tag off. Don't play with it. Make sure it's in mint condition so it will be valuable. Some people loved these things so much that they got into fights over them. In one instance, a couple in divorce court had to divide their Beanie Baby collection before the judge. Do you know how valuable these collections are today? Worthless. Bundles of Beanie Babies collect dust in basements going unsold. All the hope, all the time spent, it came to nothing. What you set your hope on matters. The way that you assess value and weightiness will affect the trajectory for your life. And the stakes are even higher than blowing your life savings on worthless stuffed animals. And so that is what the Apostle Peter targets in our passage tonight. You may notice that our passage is linked to all that came before by the word, therefore. This morning, Dave shared from 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, how Christians have been born again to a living hope. God gives an imperishable inheritance, a sought after salvation. Their salvation has been secured, it's being worked out and it has an audience. But Peter now moves from cause to effect. Peter explains how salvation changes hopes, conduct, and loves. The passage is on page 12 of your packet. Please follow along with me as I read. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. 
For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to hear your word. We ask that you would accomplish your purposes for this evening, that your word would not return void. Please help me to speak clearly, to be faithful to your word, and please help all of us to have humble hearts that are ready to listen. Please help us to be alert and attentive. And in your name, amen. In the passage we just read, the Apostle Paul focuses, the Apostle Peter focuses on three things. He discusses where and how Christians should set their hope. Then he explains how Christians should conduct themselves and why. Finally, he shares who and what Christians should love and what that should look like. So Peter starts in verse 13 by insisting that elect exiles set their hope fully on grace. Elect exiles set their hope fully on grace. Go ahead and read verse 13 again with me. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and underline that phrase, set your hope fully. This is the main verb in the sentence. This is the key command. Now, remember, Peter, he starts with the word therefore. And so this is building on all that came before. And following that, therefore, backwards helps us answer an important question. What is the grace that will be brought to Christians at the revelation of Jesus Christ? What is it that elect exiles are to set their hope on? So let's look backward a couple of verses. Peter commented in 1 Peter 1.5 that Christians are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. Peter also explained in 1.7 that genuine faith will result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This shows us that Christians are to look forward to the second coming of Jesus. When Christ returns at that moment, suffering will end. Salvation will be complete. Faithful Christians will be given praise, glory, and honor. All creation longs for this weighty moment with anticipation. Christ will be revealed. Jesus will return. All will be made right. Nothing else can compare. God wants you to pursue what's weighty. And so elect exiles must set their hope fully on Christ's return. This command is so important that Peter gives two phrases to explain what this looks like. If you wanna grab your pen again, you can circle these preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded. These little phrases, they show us something important. They show us that seeing what's weighty is hard work. Seeing what's weighty is hard work. Let me show you. We'll look at these phrases one at a time. First, preparing your minds for action. What does that mean? Well, in the original Greek, this phrase directly reads, gird up the loins of your mind. 
You see, in Peter's day, people wore lots of loose, flowing clothing, robes, togas, cloaks. So if you had to run or work or fight, you would grab all of that fabric and you would hoist it up around yourself and tie it off so that it wouldn't trip you as you go to run or to work or to fight. Then you would be ready for action. You could chase the enemy, you could swing your sword without tripping yourself. And Peter is saying, setting your hope on grace requires mental readiness and active mind. Your thoughts must be ready to spring into battle. Now, what does being sober-minded mean? This means to be serious, to be sensible, to have a mind that is not distracted or drunk, to be focused. You're alert like a soldier, a watchman at his post. Peter exhorts Christians to keep their minds from anything that numbs them, that dulls them, or distracts them. And so, when Peter commands elect exiles to set their hope fully on the grace to be brought, he wants them to have mental readiness and mental clarity. Their minds must be unhindered and undistracted. If you don't prepare and clear your mind, you will set your hope elsewhere. You'll be so distracted, you won't even see the weightiness of Christ as you go about your life. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were invited to a wedding. And at a wedding, there's always this, this really important, profound moment. The moment comes when the bride, she makes her appearance, she comes down the aisle, everyone stands up and looks. And if at that moment, you are looking at your phone instead of at the bride, you have done something wrong. You have prioritized the trivial over the weighty. Seeing what's weighty is hard work. God does not want you to be distracted and disappointed by the trivial. He does not want you to be like a devastated Beanie Baby investor. God wants your hope to be set on his weighty grace. Here's some diagnostic questions for you. Is your mind prepared for action by having scripture memorized? Do you have the sober-mindedness to pray for more than five minutes without getting distracted? Are the loins of your mind so girded up that temptation just prompts you to open your Bible? Are your thoughts alert? Are you sober-minded enough to remember what we learned from 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12 this morning? If you answered no to any of these questions, it is time to get serious about your thought life. In our world today, we often withdraw into our thoughts. We all kind of know that if you do whatever you want, there will be consequences. And we all know that if you say whatever you want, there will be consequences. And yet for some reason, deep in our hearts, all of us seem to think that we can think whatever we want with no consequences. We imagine that nothing will happen, nothing will go wrong, but your thought life is like dental hygiene. You know, you might be able to get away with ignoring it for a few weeks, maybe even a few months, and no one's gonna notice it at first. But eventually, if neglected, it causes huge issues. God cares too much about you to let you get hope cavities. God wants you to flourish and thrive by setting your hope on Christ and his coming kingdom. So, here's a couple of applications. First, realize that you are responsible for your thoughts. God doesn't just care about what you do or what you say. To be an elect exile means that God even cares about what you think, what you set your mind on. 
Second, cultivate mental preparedness and sober-mindedness. Prepare your mind for action by studying the scriptures. Search them, memorize them, be ready for opportunities to witness. Second, develop sober-mindedness by avoiding anything that numbs you to God. A couple of months ago, I noticed that my habits of, of TV and YouTube watching were just making me less sensitive to the things of God, a little bit distracted. And so in an effort to grow in sober-mindedness, I gave them up for several weeks. What will it take for you to cultivate this sort of sober-mindedness? Then third, set your hope fully on grace. This will require reminding yourself over and over every day of where your hope needs to be set on the grace that will come to you on, on Christ's return. This will require treating your heart like a car that needs to be filled with the fuel of God's word over and over. This will mean waging war mentally, going on a search and destroy mission for anything that your heart tends to trust in instead of God. Elect exiles set their hope fully on grace. Now, Peter knows that people's thoughts affect their behaviors, but he also knows that their behaviors affect their thoughts. He knows that your ability to set your hope rises and falls on your ability to perceive holiness. And so Peter explains that elect exiles conduct themselves with holiness. Elect exiles conduct themselves with holiness. And in this section, Peter gives two key commands, two commands. First, be holy. Second, conduct yourself with fear. Read verse 15 with me. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Peter goes on to quote from the Old Testament book of Leviticus saying, be holy for I am holy. So what is holiness? Holiness means separation, to be set apart. Holy people recognize that they are set apart for special use. Particularly, holiness is set apart from sin and for God's glory. So holy people resist and stand against sin, and holy men and women are committed to God's glory and God's honor. God is ultimately holy. Like we just sang about, holy, holy, holy. God is holy like the sun is hot. There is no sin whatsoever in God and sin cannot survive in his presence. This is why the Old Testament tabernacle, temple and sacrificial system, they all emphasize separation between God and sinful men. God is utterly pure, righteous, and sinless. And when God rescues people and adopts them into his family, he calls them to imitate him. When a family adopts a child, they do not change their household to match the orphanage. No, they instruct the child to change their behavior. The child conforms his conduct to the family's values. The child flourishes and grows as he embraces the new life as a son instead of an orphan. This is what God does with his children. So Peter tells elect exiles to be holy as God is holy. They must change how they live, how they conduct themselves. Now let's look at that second command. Read verse 17 with me. 
And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear. Live with the fear of God. Peter includes a couple more phrases before and after this command to help flesh this out. If you want to grab your pen again, you can do some underlining. Underline the phrase, judges impartially. Now underline in verse 19, the precious blood of Christ. And in verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Do you see how these should prompt a a little bit of healthy fear? God will one day judge everyone and he is impartial. He does not care if you are male or female, rich or poor, this race or that race. God will judge everyone according to their deeds. Plus, God has paid a high cost to ransom you. Not gold or silver, not cash or crypto, the infinitely valuable precious blood of Christ. Each drop of Christ's blood is worth more than the net worth of Bill Gates and Elon Musk put together. That's what God paid. And on top of all of that, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Jesus was before the world because he created the world. His arrival was so momentous that it began a new period in world history, the last times. Do you realize what this means? Because God is a holy judge, perfect and righteous, at the end of your life, you will be judged. God will look for the presence of sin. If any sin is found, you will be rightly condemned as a sinner. The verdict, guilty. The sentence, death. This is not a fine you can pay or a brief sentence you can serve. God is so holy that your sin is a catastrophically great offense. There is literally only one thing in the universe sufficient to pay for it. And that is the precious blood of Jesus. Your ransom cost your creator's life. Amazingly, God paid that cost so that you could believe and so that your faith and your hope are in God. Friends, this is not a God that you play games with. This is not a God that you ghost or take for granted. If you've ever visited the Grand Canyon and you walk out and you stand on the ledge, you've probably experienced that you, you have a sense of, of fear and you're wise to conduct yourself with a sense of fear. The canyon is big enough, grand enough, and deep enough that if you do not walk with an appropriate degree of fear and concern, you will fall and you will die. God is grander than the Grand Canyon. God is holy, holy, holy. So conduct yourself with fear as you go about your life. All of this shows us that God's holiness is so weighty that you ignore it at your peril. God's holiness is so weighty that you ignore it at your peril. There are two big dangers to ignoring God's holiness, hopelessness and worldliness. Hopelessness and worldliness. First, hopelessness. All through the letter, 
Peter shows that he knows his readers will be fighting not just against suffering, but also the hopelessness that can often accompany them. So in 1 Peter 4.12, he writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. In 1 Peter 5.7, he acknowledges anxieties, telling elect exiles to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But before talking about the many ways elect exiles respond to trials and anxieties, Peter talks about holiness. Peter knows that the antidote to hopelessness is a big view of God's holiness. Why? Because you can perceive God's grace only to the degree that you perceive his holiness. So all that mental work to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that will all go haywire. You will be like someone driving with a blindfold, wondering why you keep getting into car accidents. To see grace and appreciate your salvation, you must see the contrast between your sin and God's holiness. You cannot have a settled hope without seeing holiness. The second danger is worldliness. Over and over, Peter addresses the temptation to worldliness. First Peter 1.14, he warns them, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. A little later in 1 Peter 2.11, he commands them as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Later in 1 Peter 4, 3-4, Peter reminds them that the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them. The temptation to go back to sin or to join with those who do sin will be huge. And so Peter goes to the key issue, their perception of God's holiness. Peter knows that how we behave is directly related to how we perceive. Until you begin to see the holiness of God, you will live in such a way that treats God's grace as garbage. The result is, is worldliness, living like a non-Christian. Imagine that as a child, you are playing in the street, you're having a great time, and all of a sudden a car swerves around the corner, barreling down the street towards you, and you don't see it. All of a sudden, your friend darts out into the street, pushes you out of the way, but takes the impact that was coming towards you, and he dies. Worldliness is shrugging your shoulders and going back out into the street. Fear a callous disregard of God's holiness. It is too weighty to ignore. If you are God's child, you must understand God's holiness and live accordingly because God's holiness is so weighty that you ignore it at your peril. God wants you to pursue what's weighty. So abandon the passions of your former ignorance and pursue holiness. Kevin DeYoung, author and pastor in his book, The Hole in Our Holiness, he gives a vivid picture of what it looks like to conduct yourself with holiness. I'll read a quote. I believe it should be on the screen. <clears throat> you can think of holiness to employ a metaphor, metaphor as the sanctification 
of your body. The mind is filled with the knowledge of God and fixed on what is good. The eyes turn away from sensuality and shudder at the thought of evil. The mouth tells the truth and refuses to gossip, slander, or speak what is coarse or obscene. The spirit is earnest, steadfast, and gentle. The heart is full of joy instead of hopelessness, patience instead of irritability, kindness instead of anger, humility instead of pride, and thankfulness instead of envy. The sexual organs are pure, being reserved for the privacy of marriage between one man and one woman. The feet move toward the lowly and away from senseless conflict, divisions, and wild parties. The hands are quick to help those in need and ready to fold in prayer. This is the anatomy of holiness. So, how might these words have been received by Peter's first readers? These were men and women that lived in a time and culture that in many ways was far more pressuring than our own. Economic and societal advancement were on the line. Living as God's holy people could threaten livelihood. Business partners might reject you. Masters might despise you. But they refused to conform despite suffering. God's holiness was more weighty than their circumstances. If you're here with us this evening and you are not a Christian, we are so glad that you are here. Thank you for coming and checking out Focus this week. But please realize that you must one day answer to a holy God. God is the judge before whom all must one day give an account. And on that day, there will be no excuses. God does not grade on a curve. God will hold you accountable for your sin and you will be condemned. But God made Jesus manifest in history so that you could, through Jesus, be saved from that condemnation. I implore you, believe in God. Put your faith and your hope in him. And if you are a Christian, you are an elect exile, called to go about your life differently as a witness. Here are two critical applications for effective witnesses. First, you must meditate on the holiness of God. You must meditate on the holiness of God. This might look like reading Psalm 99, which talks about God's holiness. This could look like praying and asking God to help you comprehend his holiness. Consider that your sin was so great, so offensive to God that Jesus had to die for it. Then second, you must imitate the holiness of God. You must imitate the holiness of God. Forsake your old way of life, the ways of those around you. Instead, be holy as God is holy. The rest of 1 Peter will show us what this looks like because Peter is writing to equip these elect exiles to be witnesses. So Peter uses the next four chapters to help them understand what it means to be a holy people and how they should live. But the very first thing that Peter addresses is what exiles should love. Peter shows his readers that elect exiles love imperishable things. Elect exiles love imperishable things. We see two more commands from Peter in these verses. First, 
love one another earnestly. Second, long for the pure spiritual milk. Read verse 22 through 23 with me. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Go ahead and mark that phrase, love one another earnestly. And notice Peter gives a reason statement for this love. Since, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. Peter then goes on to quote from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and he quotes Isaiah to demonstrate that God's word is abiding, enduring, and imperishable. So here's the flow of thought. Love one another because people are imperishable because they've been given rebirth through the imperishable word of God. People are imperishable because they've been born of God's imperishable word. Now, read 1 Peter 2.2 with me. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. This pure spiritual milk that Peter's talking about here, it's a little weird, but what he's talking about is God's word. God's word grants Christians rebirth and it is what produces continued growth. Christians must long for it like an infant longs for milk. Peter is showing us that there are only two things in this world that last forever. God's word and God's people. And elect exiles are to love both of them. So learn to love God's people. It does not matter if you have different personalities or different hobbies. It doesn't matter if you can't stand to spend five minutes with some of your brothers and sisters because I have news for you. One day you will spend five millennia with them. You cannot get away. They are not going anywhere. So you might as well learn to love them earnestly now. This is not lip service or going through the motions. This is, I will help you move your couch or pay your bills type of love. This is, your joys will make me laugh with delight and your sorrows will make me cry types of love. People matter. People are eternal. People are weighty. And being holy like God means loving God's people. Also, We must learn to love and long for God's word. It does not matter if you are not a reader. God's word is what you need in order to grow. If children just eat candy over and over and over again instead of fruits and vegetables, they will stunt their growth. Similarly, if you gorge yourself on television and YouTube and social media and never get into God's word, you will stunt your growth spiritually. God's holiness demands you love God's word and God's people. That's what we see here. God's holiness demands you love God's word and God's people. God wants you to pursue what is weighty and so pursue God's word and God's people. Years ago, I met a man named Joe and Joe understood what was truly weighty. 
Joe went about his life differently because he was moved by the holiness of God to love God's word and people. I could see this in the way Joe used his time, his money, and his relationships. He studied his Bible, and he also invited other young men and women to do the same. I read the Old Testament straight through for the very first time because of Joe. Joe also used his money differently. He bought poor college students like me expensive resources about the Bible so I could understand it better. And Joe used his relationships, befriending and discipling a new Christian. He discipled this man so effectively, so thoroughly, that that man went on to make dozens of disciples. Why did Joe do this? Because he was an elect exile that loved imperishable things. So instead of investing himself in worthless things like Beanie Babies, Joe invested himself into the two things that will last forever, God's word and people. God's holiness demands you love God's word and God's people. Peter wrote his letter to ancient Christians, equipping them to live as witnesses. Unlike people today, Peter's audience had limited technology, no social media, no television. However, there were a couple things that were very similar. First, people tended to use people. And second, God's word was not popular. But those elect exiles who first read the letter of 1 Peter, they responded to Peter's words with self-giving love for one another that was so countercultural, so attractive that Christianity spread like wildfire. They were witnesses that changed the world. And those elect exiles loved God's word so much that even when over the years to come, government officials threatened them with imprisonment and torture for holding on to their Bibles, they refused to hand them over. If you are not a Christian, I implore you, receive God's word as good news. This is the living and abiding word of God. God's word is imperishable and it can make you imperishable as well. Respond to its call to put your faith in Jesus and you can be born again and look forward to eternal life with Jesus. Christian, elect exile, here are three applications for you. First, consider what will last. How long will your education last? How long will your career, even your body, last? Are you investing yourself into what is imperishable? Or are you investing yourself into things that will fade like grass? Elect exiles are witnesses with eyes set on eternity. Second, love people. Later, Peter mentions that how you interact with others is a profound witness for or against the gospel. People might see how you live and ask, how can you do this? How can you live this way? How can you stay so hopeful? So love people by giving up your time, your energy, your resources. Put yourself around them. Love people by speaking the truth and love instead of words of malice, deceit, or slander. Third, love God's word. 
Learn to see God's word like food. Wet your appetite for it. Move beyond the verse of the day. This summer, use your time to consume whole books of the Bible. That way, when someone asks you about your hope, you will actually have something to say. You will be a witness that is effective and equipped because you have been shaped by God's word. God wants you to pursue what's weighty. It is hard work. It requires focused consideration of God's holiness. And it means prioritizing God's word and God's people over the things of this world. But if you are saved, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, this is what you will do. Elect exiles set their hope fully on grace. Elect exiles conduct themselves with holiness. And elect exiles love imperishable things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our hearts are so quick to set their hope on other things instead of the grace that is coming to us when Christ returns. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be sober-minded, to prepare, and to set our hope on what is truly our hope. We pray that you would allow us to be holy as we contemplate your holiness that understanding how great you are, how holy you are, would bubble out into our conduct and into our relationships, that we would be people who, instead of loving the things which pass away so quickly, we would love imperishable things. In your name, Lord, amen.